Welcome to the Emotional Coach Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori, and this week my guest is Leah Heden. Leah is a nutrition, wellness, and fitness coaching specialist. Her personal journey has informed a lot of her understanding of the importance of nutrition, and she has applied it to her coaching practice. It's a fascinating conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Please subscribe, share, and review. It's really appreciated, and it's the only way podcasts like this have a chance to survive. For more information, please visit andreasplendori.com. The title tune is Paralyzed by Nevada. And, w- and where are you based, Leah? I'm normally up in Dunleary, Andrea, but I actually moved home. I'm from Kildare, so we're living just below the Wicklow Mountains, kind of just in the border. Oh, so we just we got caught with the lockdown now, so we're literally a kilometer inside the border. Oh, you know what? Yeah. We, we, we did we're doing a run across Ireland uh, on the 17th of uh, September. We're going from here from Greystone to Galway, and. Uh, <sighs> Yeah, and uh, so we run all along the canal. And last Saturday, we went out to kind of see the canal, and we we run. We had to run. We had to stop at the Kildare border and turn around. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible, oh, isn't it? I know. What are you in a running group, Andrea? That sounds fabulous. No, no, just a group of friends. We're doing this for mental health. We're doing yeah. it for um, just for mental health because we we really good, you know we find it really beneficial for all of us, and it always has been mm-hmm. that way. And then we realized that there was a great tool for a lot of people. And so we just kind of put it out there and then we start to fundraise for Lost for Life and for Crumlin. And wow. uh, so now there's a, we're fundraising 20,000. We're nearly there. Um, but we, yeah, so it's good. And then we're, um, we are, uh, we 18 of us now going, uh, including a few girls. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's oh. great. So. So it's 80 kilometers a day for three days. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You definitely need your good nutrition for that then. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So listen, thanks a million for doing this. Uh, what I've started doing, I've had my own podcast for the last, I don't know, nearly three years. It's called Social Fabric. But uh, then I started this on the coaching thing because um, I'm just very curious of why people are getting into coaching. And uh, as I have been. And we all have different reasons and we're all different uh, angles. And obviously your angle is different from anybody else I've had so far. And I'll tell you what i like to start, Leah. i like to start from the webinar that I was at the other day. You did a webinar and there was about 100 and, I don't know, 50 or 80 of us listening to you. Tell me about that experience because that was, uh, it was a really interesting webinar, I must add. Um, but I'd like to know what it was like from your end. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for asking that because I don't think I've ever been, you know, when you're on the other side of the camera, you don't really get to express what it's like. But uh, I was actually really nervous for it. Although I'm used to speaking in front of a camera, I think it was a whole thing of having so many people listening, you know, and actually being present with you. Um, And because the topic on the day was about the gut brain connection and how that, you know, what we eat affects how we think and how we feel what we think and how we feel also impacts on our digestion and absorption of nutrients. I guess that kind of highlighted it for me because for a day or two afterwards, my appetite was all off because I had been so nervous. And again, just reinforcing the whole thing behind our thoughts, our emotions, how we perform on the day can all be, um, I guess, 
either hindered or empowered through what we eat. Now, I was very conscious of, you know, getting proper sleep, having good hydration that week, you know, eating a good diet, lots of diversity in my fruits and vegetables, lots of healthy fats. And I, I really felt I got, you know, I put a lot into it. I got a lot from that webinar, um, but was wrecked after it then, absolutely wrecked. But it was so lovely, again, to have that, that because we are so distanced at the moment to have that social interaction online, you know? Yeah, and the one thing I'm curious about, how um, the following days or the same day, what kind of feedback did you get? Because that's the other thing. You're on that side. You're on your own. You don't know if I'm listening or I'm doing the crosswords. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I got, like, I was actually so taken aback by the, the emails I got, the texts, the phone calls from people I've never met, you know. Um, he reached out and all of a sudden... I felt like I'd known them my whole life after an email or two. It's like they were so willing to express what they took from the webinar and everybody seemed to take something different. You know, one part of it struck something on somebody or somebody knew somebody who suffered with something. Do you know what I mean? Or as a coach, their client was meeting these blocking barriers. They never taught to address maybe their own personal well-being when it came to bringing it up as a topic. Um, so it was actually really you know, yeah, enlightening to see all the different angles that came out of it. Brilliant. So now you mentioned the coaching. Tell me a bit about the journey, how you got to do the coaching. Um, yeah, how did you get to the point we're at now? And because, you know, you, you're, gonna, you're starting to work with Kingston College as well uh, yeah. as one of the, their tutors, am I right? That's correct. Or, well, as yeah. more so as part of the faculty, so as part of the okay. team. Um, I guess, Andrea, if I'm going to be really personal about my journey in general, when I was four years old, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So from the age of four, I've had to be very responsible for the management of my own health. Now, my journey through diabetes, I guess, I was always curious, always really kind of active, but curious as to what triggered what response within me. So for all the world, type 1 diabetes is where your pancreas doesn't produce insulin. And insulin is a hormone that helps to carry sugar into your cells to give you energy. So in essence, I'm operating my own organ from outside my body. And I know that sounds graphic, but in general, it just involves monitoring my blood sugar levels, understanding how the foods I eat interact with my own um, blood sugar balance, and then taking insulin to monitor that. Um, but I guess throughout the years, as my hormones changed and as stress or, you know, more responsibilities came with growing up, how that impacted on my diabetes and my blood sugar management was really, really kind of, I guess, insightful for me. And I started to see how external environment factors impacts on our own internal health. But also, if I had a bad day where my blood sugars weren't in balance or I wasn't feeling up to scratch, how that impacted on my own ability to interact with my external environment. Now, realizing that everybody has a pancreas and everybody produces insulin, you know, who doesn't have diabetes and everybody has to eat nutrients to nourish their body. We're all much the same, only I'm doing it from the external. So I, I understand how stress external environment impacts on people's well-being, but also how their well-being impacts on their interactions with their external environment, if that makes sense. So I met, um, sorry, do you want to interrupt? Yeah. I met um, a wonderful woman. I moved to Dunleary to start a new job because I was always interested in health and fitness. 
and it was with um, a gym up in Dunleary. And I had studied um, nutrition and personal training up to that point. And I met a wonderful woman um, named Paula King. And she sensed my energy for, um, I guess, understanding emotion, behavior, and what's behind our pursuits on a day-to-day -day basis. So when I told her about my day-to-day -day job, um, she kind of said, you know, like, what, do you, what, do you, what do you get out of your job? And the more I shared with her, the more she said, have you ever thought about life coaching? or working in the area of coaching, I said, no, tell me more. I knew very little about it. And I, like, as soon as she told me, as soon as I did a bit of research, I was like, it's for me, you know? And I could see how I could so tie in the nutrition with it. So that's where I am today. And um, so the, with them, um, just let's go back a, a, a little bit because I'm quite interested. I, know, I don't know a huge amount about type A um, diabetes. Yeah. Is, is it something do you have to live with for the rest of your life? Is, there's no cure for it? No. So it's an autoimmune disease. Um, so it's basically where your own immune system attacks your own cells. And I, it's something that's not curable. Okay. Um, I have to test my blood sugars five times a day. And every time I eat carbohydrates, I have to take insulin. So it's an injection. Um, but the interaction between carbohydrates and fats and proteins have different impacts on my blood sugars. So it's, it's, uh, it's all about balance. But then again, when you know about coaching, it's all about balance as well. So it's yeah, yeah. That, that crossover there is, it, it really works quite well. You know, I've got a lot from the coaching journey myself. Yeah, no, and that's, that's what, because it, at, the, at your webinar, you, you know, a lot of the things you mentioned are kind of, not necessarily common knowledge, but you know, there's things we're supposed to know, but not, not all of us. Um, put into practice that you were mentioning the five different pillars of, of nutrition and so on and so forth. But it's interesting to hear that, I mean, you're, you're really genuine, you walk in the walk. I mean, there is no, and, and talking the talk is, you know, for you, it's, it's as important as, you know, it's, it's your li livelihood, which is, tell me something just a little bit, because I'm always curious about the people I'm talking to more so than the, the profession. We'll get to the profession in a second, but yeah. What was it like, uh, I mean, you're a very young woman, but what was it like as a teenager when it's really hard to keep tap on, on what is McDonald's or whatever, Nando's, I don't know, whatever is out there. Yeah. What was it like? I don't know whether, Andrea, I'm just different in my way of being, but I always was into sport. And I was always kind of outgoing and would always talk about what I was passionate about. So I guess... Coming into secondary school, I moved from a mixed school, you know, with boys and girls. I got on very well with the, both of them, both of them actually, and then moved into an all-girls school. And I actually found that transition quite hard because I wasn't used to that. But all the same, I used to be known for the girl who had her carrots at lunchtime, you know, or the girl who had her salad. But I wouldn't have been one to be going on about, I guess, you know, my diabetes as such. It was more so who I was. And I always like to think, okay, well, I'm eating the rainbow. I like actually eating colors. It's creative. I was always arty, always into kind of, you know, um, eating with my eyes and always into doing art myself. So I always kind of felt I was living by my values when I did that, even as a teenager. I think getting diagnosed at the age of four made me mature quite quickly. So the thing about, uh, about eating, say, McDonald's or takeaway food, I kind of didn't have an interest. I wasn't kind of, um, I guess, enticed by it because it wasn't something that I felt served me. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. No, absolutely. And it's just, uh, 
I just curious. I'm, I'm, I'm a father of a, a 17 year old daughter yeah. and, uh, and as much as she knows all about nutrition, she's also, she also knows that, you know, socializing in, I don't know, I think Nando's is the latest now seem to be the, yeah. the place where everybody goes, which, and she knows that, that, you know, it's not as good as it needs to be, but no, that, yeah. that, that was more a, a personal curiosity in how, yeah. how everybody deals with, with society and what is thrown at us all the time, you know. That's it. Like even after the webinar on Friday, uh, I got an email to say, you know, I'm actually after driving the whole way to Ikea, having a conversation with my daughter about our second brain, which exists in our gut. And now I hear, hear her today telling my her, her little cousins about it. And she's only 13, this girl's daughter. And I was just thinking, that's fabulous that those conversations are happening at such a young age, you know, that it's such a novel thing to be kind of discussing and talking about, you know. So I think once that conversation is held, you know, from a young age, it's something that can be part of that person, yeah, going up to 13. That, that's great. And that, I suppose, is, is it what attracted you to coaching then, that idea of um, actually making a change? Because I know you do fitness coaching as well, you know, gym and yeah. fitness, but, and, and, and that, in a way, it's, is, it, is a visible feedback. You know, if you're working with somebody long enough, you will actually see the, the external uh, fitness. But with coaching, we're talking about something internal that needs to be externalized eventually. Well, tell me about how... And how you've been coaching? What, what, what's your angle on the whole coaching thing? So my coaching is primarily nutrition coaching. So people will come to me and try to target their diet. They'll want to change their diet. They don't feel comfortable with what they're eating or the way they are at the moment in their body. Um, so a lot of it is about discovering through that process, using coaching methods, about really what's out of balance in the other areas of their life. You know the wheel of life? It's all about finding kind of an area that you aren't honoring. When somebody presents to me with something that they're not doing with their nutrition, that they don't know why, or that they know they, they know what they should do, but they're not doing it. When we actually kind of sidetrack and focus on another aspect of their life, their nutrition tends to solve itself. Um, so it's kind of interesting to see how, like I say, our external environment or stressors in our other areas of our life then end up being something we you know, roll out into our nutrition because obviously nutrition is such an emotional relationship for everyone. It's the first thing we do when we're in embryo is build that relationship with our mother because we're depending on the nutrients coming from them to give us life. So obviously we all have an emotional relationship with nutrition, but that gets shaped by obviously the emotions we have with other areas of our life. Yeah, because I mean, the, the, at the moment that we're still in this uh, COVID-19 um, I don't know, semi-lockdown or I don't know, it's, it's extremely confusing at this stage. We're in August and it's extremely confusing. But uh, the, the statistics are coming out on how bad we're we eating, how bad are we drinking and, uh, and you know, the comfort food. And, and, and so how, how do you, I mean, at the moment, you know, being at home and, and having our routine disrupted, and I know we all do it. We all reach out for uh, for the chocolate or the the chips or whatever that may be. How 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 would you see with your clients coming to you? Give me an idea how the the conversation goes because it's it's easy to talk about it, but it, you know when you go home, you open the fridge and you have stored yeah. something that you shouldn't have there. <laughs> That's it, absolutely. And I think it all comes down to the standards we set for ourselves. You know, obviously we're all undergoing significant change at the moment 
it's a massive change to our lifestyle and um, to the relationships in our lives. We're spending so much more time around people that we, you know, had finite time with before. Um, so it's, it, obviously when it comes to the nutrition, there's no re- wonder why people tend to kind of slip in bad habits. And when I say bad, not necessarily bad, it's just when it becomes something that occurs on a day-to-day basis over and over again, and then it gets out of control that we're, we get to a stage where we're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. Or, I'm not okay with this. That compassion has to come into that and understand that you have the capabilities and you have the you have everything within you to move beyond that, but to understand that you're just satisfying a need right now. Mm. Okay, so addressing the massive changes obviously in your life. Some of them are within our control, some of them are out of our control. But it's all about finding those little pockets of influence that we can take on, you know, and um, Stephen Covey's model, you know, the circles of influence or concern and I think when it comes to something like that we very much get caught up in oh you know this is really concerning to me and I feel like it's controlling me and I'm out of control but when you understand that you can have your extra bag of crisps if you say bring in a healthier habit that day so maybe I'm going to add an extra fist of vegetables to my dinner or I'm going to add an extra bottle of water to my day today and forgive myself for having the little bit of extra but also introducing the good stuff so that the good stuff can start to fill you up that little bit more, nourish your body a little bit more, and maybe change your brain chemistry so that you start to kind of get back on track. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's very interesting that, um, as you say at the beginning, um, a lot of times people don't even look at their nutrition as part of their well-being. You know, they, mm-hmm. they come to you, or, or they come to you for, for nutrition, but they don't realize that it's connected to the actual overall well-being and it's fascinating that you can work on both and that brings me to the the couple of things you had in your webinar the one that stuck with me was the emotional constipation i thought that was fabulous uh, yeah. <laughs> tell yeah. me a bit yeah. about yeah. emotional constipation because it's it's it's, it's such a lovely well it's, it's just a great a great um, two words that it kind of say everything <laughs> really i was thinking i'm a bit rude putting it in but it's so true it's you know when we're living inauthentically or that we don't feel we are expressing ourselves or we're not being true to what we're really feeling or thinking throughout those times that actually shows up within our gut you know it's actually that friction that cortisol the adrenaline and the noradrenaline and all those different um, hormones that exist within us start to actually physiologically play out when we're not psychologically being true or being aware of what's going on for us right now. So I think things like meditation, where you allow those thoughts to come, you know, accept them and go, things pop into your head that you might be surprised going for your run. You like running. Sometimes you're so taken aback by what actually creeps up in your mindset during that run and being okay with sitting with that and getting a little bit uncomfortable. If we don't do that, like you say, you get that emotional constipation, your, your digestive tract actually gets upset. You get bloating, you get gas, you retain a little bit of extra weight, your brain fog, you know, not able to think clearly. It all starts to play out physiologically. So if you're starting to notice those trends or signs or you're eating foods that you used to be able to tolerate and all of a sudden you can't tolerate them anymore, that can be actually a, a sign or a symptom of not being aware or giving your thoughts attention. Um. Fascinating. And um, tell me about it in terms of coaching, because I found um, one thing that has been revelation for me has been um, 
the amount of them learning about myself every time I'm talking to somebody or I'm in a coaching session or there's there's so much learning that is it's quite amazing I'm I'm 52 and I thought I knew everything well I thought I knew everything when I was 19 but now (laughs) (laughs) but now I say no actually I don't know that much and and every time I meet somebody it's a new tell me about that aspect of coaching for you how is is uh, showing up for you it's Oh God, like when it comes to, I guess, my studying of coaching, I'd only come out of some of my lectures and my seminars or my workshops and be like, oh my God. And you feel such passion behind what you're actually after discovering for yourself. You know, I I realize I'm a very visual learner. I think it's something I always knew, but to have that reinforced through the coaching process, that listening wise, I, like I, I know I'm talking an awful lot, but I actually take in quite a lot and being aware of how much I'm actually taking in and being okay with that too. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you can listen quite a lot and not realize how deep you're letting those voices get into you. Do you know what I mean? Or come down into you and trying to work with that. I've discovered a lot of that through coaching, I guess. Um, but Again, my enthusiasm and my, my interpersonal skills kind of, I guess, that communication, the core of my, things around coaching that we have to play out, you kind of, again, it's a great way of reinforcing how good you're actually building relationships. And for those relationships, those coaching relationships that don't actually manifest or take shape, okay, not every relationship is going to play out, but sometimes you notice that you're actually distracted, you know, or that your head is somewhere else, your thoughts are somewhere else. Um, maybe your wellness, your well-being hasn't been on par or on track. And that is a good cue when you value those relationships you build with your clients so much to pull you back on track again. You know, we're human. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Aside from COVID, because it's just an, an extraordinary, extraordinary time that none of us really know yet what mm-hmm. it's going to do to us. But, you know, we're all coping with it. And um, But outside of that, what are the biggest challenges from a nutritional point of view. So when a client comes to you, and I'm not sure if you're attracting a certain type of client or, but what are the biggest challenges out there? Because it's easy to talk about again, but it, once you go to the supermarket, then what's in front of you is not necessarily your, your, your vegetables yeah. and all the things you're supposed to eat. Tell me a bit yes. about that. Um, I guess when it comes to challenges, I do see a lot of them coming over and over again. For example, um, like not having enough time. This is something that creeps up time and time again. I don't have enough time or I'm on the go um, or I, ha- I got caught off and I had a work meeting that day and I didn't expect it to occur. Or traveling for work as well is something that comes up. But more so nighttime snacking, really, really common. Um, poor sleep quality. We get to those areas as well and, and not having good quality sleep or not drinking enough water tends to be once I forgot to drink my water. Um, these kind of things crop up time and time again. Um, yeah, and emotional eating, of course, is a really, really common one that tends to, to occur. Mm. Yeah. And <clears throat> what is your view on that? You, you said a really interesting thing in the webinar about a website, which I, unfortunately I, wrote, I didn't write that, EW something about checking the the pesticides used on mm. uh, like I've been vegetarian for 10 years. And in fact, as of a couple of days ago, I decided I'm going to start to eat meat again. 
uh, occasionally, just because I'm, I'm bored with vegetarianism. But not only yeah. that, because I believe that uh, unfortunately uh, a lot of uh, what I can't buy is not necessarily as nutritional as I, I would like it to be, whether it's a yeah. cabbage or something. And but you mentioned this particular website uh, that had um, a pesticide control type of idea. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah. I hope I haven't ruined your vegetarian buzz now, Andrea. Not at all, no, 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 not at all, not at all. Um, so the EWG, every EWG. single year, they, yeah, they bring out two lists. I can send it over to you, but they bring out two lists every year. There's one called the uh, Clean 15 and the Dirty 12. So the Clean 15 are the ones, uh, the vegetables and fruits that are grown with the least amount of pesticides. And then the Dirty 12, are the lists that contain the most amount of pesticides. And every year that list change, obviously because farmers see their vegetables or their crops being listed on it and they obviously want to boost sales, so they try and you know, use a little bit less pesticides or maybe switch to a different uh, batch. But it's really important to be aware of both of them because like you, I would have been going into my shops, into Aldi and Dunn's and buying my vegetables thinking I'm great, you know, I'm doing really, really well. And of course, if it's something that you haven't been doing, that is one step in the right direction. But when you want to take it that little bit further, if it's something like you say you've been a vegetarian for 10 years and you really want to boost your health, then again, being aware of these two lists. Pesticides, what they do is they stop the growth of um, polyphenols, phytonutrients, all the plant chemicals that help to boost our overall antioxidant levels within our body helping to prevent illness, you know, boosting our immune function, prevention of things like cancer and all those different illnesses that you don't want occurring. And pesticides tend to stop the growth of these good antioxidants in fruit and vegetables at a very young age. So even when the crop is fully grown, it's only got the nutrient ratio of what it was like when it was a little baby. So ideally we want to be going for say organic options when you can see those crops or those veggies or fruits listed on that list try to go for the organic ones in that case. Very interesting. Um, and what's your view then on um, the old vegan and vegetarian, uh, I don't know, keto, keto, there's millions yeah. of different things. What's your view on, on all of that? On diet? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it always comes down to what works best for you. Um, so if it's something lifestyle wise and your practices that you know, vegetarian suits you or, you know, it, it suits the time in your life, you, you know, you might change. Like you say, you might go back to eating meat. That's okay. It's diversity. So if you're sticking to a diet that doesn't give you much diversity, you're not getting the nutrients in for optimal health. With things like ketogenic diets work very well for certain conditions and diseases and illnesses because of the low carbohydrates. For example, type two diabetics, a little bit intolerant to carbohydrates. So obviously ketogenic, very low carbohydrates suits them quite well. But if we are following a practice because we think that that's gonna give us optimal health and we're stressing about being so constrained by that diet, that stress levels, the cortisol levels that we produce by trying to stick to this regime or because it's causing us stress because we're having our friends over for dinner and we have to cook for them, but we should cook differently for us. Those, that stress will actually do you more harm than good. Now, when it comes to, say, for example, runners, you know, or people who are endurance athletes, you have to be really aware of vitamin B12 and your iron levels when it comes to sticking to a vegan or a vegetarian diet, because vitamin B12 can only be gotten in animal sources unless you're buying fortified grains um, or milk or dairy-based, but 
when it comes to say, for example, for your iron as well, just be really, really aware because we use a lot of iron in that turnover of blood when we're running for long distances. So just to be really, really aware of what nutrients you might fall down on. Um, but when it comes, like I say, when it comes to following a specific diet practice, really, really addressing your why behind why you're doing it. Okay, getting really clear on what your motivation is. Um, because other than that, we are just fighting against conflict against our external environment and putting ourselves under, under unnecessary stress, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and then I, I'm all with you on that. You mentioned earlier on, uh, if, if you feel like having a packet of crisps, you should. Mm -hmm. And I, I've always said, you know, uh, there's a couple of things I love doing. And one of them is uh, watching match of the day with a packet of crisps. And sometimes, I don't do it every week, but that's, that's, yeah. that's as good as it gets. And nobody's going to stop me doing that because it's, it's no stress and it's pleasure. Yeah. That's it. Absolutely. And even, um, you know, I talked about the cephalic phase digestive response mm. so with 30 to 40 percent digestion taking place in the brain. There's also a thing called cephalic phase insulin response. Right. And I'm really familiar with this, obviously, because being diabetic, having to inject insulin. If my brain is doing a thing called cephalic phase insulin response as a non-diabetic, what that means is that if you see a tempting food, say a chocolate cake, and you're drooling at the mouth, right? That cephalic phase insulin response, that digestive response has already kicked in. So you've already started that digestive process without consuming the cake. Now that's smelling it, seeing it, visually seeing, you know, being aware of that cake, that's actually kicking off digestion. Mm. So our body actually gets stressed because it never receives those calories. If we limit ourselves and prevent ourselves from having it. If we're stressing ourselves about wanting it but not having it, we're still kind of succumbing to a certain percentage of those calories. In other words, because our digestion is expecting it, stress hormones are going up and we're not receiving those, that, those nutrients. Yeah. No, it is fascinating. And I did, uh, I did really enjoy the, the whole thing about the vagus nerve and um, the gut brain and, uh, and it is, it's all, it, it, what still um, baffles me is a lot of the times when we go to a doctor, they never ask us what we eat. And I know they're busy and I know they have whatever, 15 minutes to see us. And but surely that should be a question should be asked, you know, what do you eat all the time, you know? Because, Absolutely, and, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so it, it, with your... Um, how how are you set up now? So how do people find out about you, and then and um, what kind of clients you you work with, or do you work with anybody? Do you work with old men running across Ireland like me, or do you work with anybody at all? Yeah, my clients are as diverse as my diet. <laughs> so I like uh, I like I like anybody who really really wants to make that change. Do you know who somebody who really really feels that it, okay now is the time that I really want to kind of go deep into whether they're concerned about practices they have been following whether they have lost a lot of weight and are still a little bit uncertain or a bit unsure about where they are now whether they're a professional athlete who wants to improve their performance if you're i, I seem to attract a lot of um say corporate uh, executives and people living in fast-paced high high fast-paced lifestyles where they are struggling with their own you know private balance because life is obviously busy. Um, I tend to attract a lot of, uh, a lot of those. Um, but like, by all means, I am very much open to anybody who's willing to get through and get authentic with themselves, you know, and really wants to make that change. 
Because that is the key, isn't it? That's the key of coaching. We, we can only help so far. Um, it mm-hmm. really is down to the client to make that decision in the first place to, to make a change. Yeah. Um, so just one thing I'm curious about, because uh, again, and, and this is more like a personal curiosity, being a father of a 17-year-old, and social media is something that I, I started a podcast called Social Fabric because of social media. I was f- afraid of it. I didn't understand. And then I learned a lot about it. But um, when I look at social media and, and the body, body image, and I'm thinking all that. So what's your view on what's your relationship with social media? First of all, obviously you're using it for your own business, which is fair enough. Um, but what is your relationship with that? What, how do you see the body image versus what you're doing versus the clients that come to you because it's quite a complex uh, subject. It is. It absolutely is. And social media is something that it's so hard to control. We really can't, you know, and it's become such a big part of our lives. Um, I actually did my research project in, in college on the impact of what health is perceived like on social media. So what it actually means to people to be healthy according to the standards seemingly set by social media. And a lot of it, I typed in words like healthy or, you know, um, you know, athlete. And the the actual images that came back to me were very much body-based. So it could be, you know, a six pack or it could be a tiny waist or it could be, you know, a, a thigh gap. All these different images came flashing back at me, but not one of them actually, you know, was around food or around workouts you know the actual layout of the workout or you know around thoughts or emotions none of those aspects tended to creep up now I'm saying Andrea this is five or six years ago I have seen a good movement over the last five or six years in which food has become more you know about color diversity and the the vitamins and minerals that are coming into the plates that's brilliant once that's where our focus goes very easy to get sidetracked or get caught up in cults or you know um, followings that seem to promote this idealistic body type I think it's very important that we spend time offline reading being creative with our own nutrition but also with our emotions and our thoughts and being very aware that way because then we can present more authentically online and I love social media because I am creative and I love it as a tool to express creativity. Um, I put up pictures of my food, you know, or if my clients send me pictures of their food and they want to show a wider audience of something they're really proud of, it's actually been a really empowering tool for them to see everybody giving them the, those positive comments, you know, and enforcing that motivation to keep going. So it's, um, it, when it's used in the right way, it can be a really, really powerful tool. Yeah, absolutely. I know. And I, and I had a look through your social media just to, to get an idea. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, there is a bit of work in, you know, yours is, is very structured. You, you, you have a picture of yourself, you have a picture of your food, you have a quote, and it's, it's fantastic. I mean, you, you, you are delivering a consistent message. And I didn't read every single quote, but I'm sure they're not all about you. They're about the, the importance of eating well and, and exercising and so on, which is uh, it's great. Tell me, what do you do for exercise and what do you do every day or, or what's your week like exercise wise? Yeah, I always start my morning with exercise. I think it's the best way to kickstart the day. And I like be that, you know, if it's raining outside, like I have a cross trainer <laughs> in the cabin outside and I'll do a bit of weights intermittent with the cross trainer. So I like to mix up my weights and my cardio into the one session because Although it's been studied, you know, to be doing your cardio and your weight training separate, 
sometimes I just like to do what makes me feel good. So if it makes me feel positive, like a good start to my day and it's time efficient, I'll mix up my cardio and my weights together. Um, always a good playlist on or a good podcast on. Um, and I love a long weekend run. I like doing my long runs at the weekend because then that's where the ideas come and the creativity comes in again. Um, I've got a dog. He keeps me busy walking him. So in the evening time before bed, bring him for a walk. Um, and then I actually took up yoga over lockdown. So I, I've tried, yeah, I tried to get in, you know, a day or two of yoga. I felt that really, really helped with, say, stress management or, you know, anxiety as well, things like that. And like that as well, ideas come into your head when you're, you know, lying on the mat. Maybe I shouldn't be, maybe I should be in down dog, but you, know, you got to do what makes you feel good and for your mobility as well. So. Well, you're absolutely, absolutely fat, passionate about what you're doing, which is fantastic. And I'm sure your, your clients... Um, uh, appreciate that passion and that intensity of understanding. But before I let you go, what are you having for dinner tonight? For tonight? <laughs> so I, <laughs> see, I don't have time, Andrea. I'm going to take away. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be perfect. That'd be a perfect ending to it. <laughs> I said to God, you'll see it go up on social media now as social proof. But uh, I've got, that's it. I have my cod fillets out defrosting this morning. So I've got cod and I put a little bit of pesto on it because I like pesto. And then I chop up some beef tomatoes, put that on top and a little bit of mozzarella. And then just a side salad. You know, my side salad would be tomatoes, maybe some bell peppers, so red and yellow and cucumber. And I love gherkins. I'm obsessed with gherkins, so they'll always be in it. Wow. Okay, so anything else you'd like to tell me before I let you go? Anything else you want to leave us with, a thought or anything? Um, I'm trying to, I just hope that people can take what they want from this and that if they have questions, like I say, just to shoot them my way. I love when questions come in because it always opens up different areas of learning for me as well. Um, but I guess it's that understanding that your, you know, your motivation isn't solely based on the brain. It's derived from the nutrients that you're giving your body. And like I say, your brain and your, your gut are so interconnected to have to understand that the two impact on each other. So if you're not eating well, you're not going to have good brain focus and motivation and drive but if you're having poor brain focus motivation and drive also again of course addressing how you can improve your diet and how that can turn out and play out in different ways um, but to have fun be creative with it i love to say see the world in color so to do it as colorfully as you can and then you don't have to worry about hitting certain targets when it comes to your nutrients they'll already be there in the food Fantastic. We'll put all the links in the show notes anyway. People can follow you and contact you then. But Leah Hidden, thanks a million for your time. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll see you soon somewhere, somehow. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Andrea. It was lovely chatting with you.